Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mesh TV. Really lovely to have you with us tonight. It's Children and Young People's Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, and so we're going to be, we've got two fantastic guests with us tonight. Um, but before we get going, let's go to Dave so that he can tell you how you can join in. We'd love to have um, questions, comments from you. Dave? Hi, everyone. Uh, I am subbing for Vanessa tonight. She has had car trouble, so I've dropped into this live at the last minute. Uh, that's why I've not got my three-piece suit on today. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind. Uh, yes, so if you want to get involved in tonight's conversation, you've got a couple of options. The first is on the Facebook live uh, live chat, uh, uh, so that's on the MHNA page. Uh, the second option is if you're on Twitter as well, you can use the hashtag MHTV. We'd obviously love to hear your comments, thoughts, questions, and obviously just get involved in tonight's conversation, which I'm really looking forward to. So back over to you, Nikki. Okay, and let's get, get into it with our guests then. So first we've got Robin. Robin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks, Nikki. I'm Robin Barker. Um, I'm the Director of Healthy Teen Minds, which is an organisation that tries to empower young people uh, to create change, mainly in the health and mental health sector. So that's what I do. I'm a nurse. I'm a mental health nurse. I'm your token mental health nurse here tonight uh, from the team. And uh, yeah, I spent far too many years of my life uh, uh, and working in a silo um, within child and adolescent uh, mental health services. So I kind of have to hold my hand up that I've also been there, seen that system and made it through to the other side. <laughs> it's doable then. Fantastic. Uh, Chris, coming over to you. Hi, I'm Chris Kerr. I am the National Director for We Can Talk, which is a project within Healthy Teen Minds. I'm a dual qualified adult and paediatric nurse, and I'm currently a senior nurse within an organisation too. Um, so still trying to battle my way through uh, the NHS system as we are. Mm. So let's just open it up then with just getting a bit of an overview of what's going on for children and young people at the moment. Um, it's been a heck of a year for everybody with the sort of 2020, 2021 with COVID and all the other things. What's sort of live at the moment in, in the world of, of CAMS? Well, I guess it's mental, you know, Children's Mental Health Awareness Week, um, mm. always, you know, exciting weeks, all these awareness weeks, where we're suddenly become aware that uh, services are not properly funded and that young people are really <laughs> let down by the system that supports them. But don't worry, because we'll tweet about it for a week and then we'll forget about it uh, for the other you know, 51 weeks of the year. But that's that's fine, but that's going on. Um, so uh, I guess that's that's exciting or it's something. I don't know yeah. What, yeah. what exactly it, it is. Um, well, it's a fundamental system problem, isn't it? And this idea that we've had this this issue going on for a long, long time. And, you know, whilst, you know, as you rightly say, any awareness is better than no awareness, but it doesn't it doesn't solve the problem. So what are the issues that are, are ongoing? Um, well, I feel like Chris can probably pick up and talk to some of them. Mm. I think certainly like in terms of young people and, and certainly think about this conversation, we were thinking about crisis and mm. certainly you know, what we know is that already it's difficult for young people to not only access services, but also feel like able to um, go into A&E if they're in a mental health crisis or, or to just access support. And we know that was the case before COVID. So yeah. actually, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical of all of the research and money that's gone into finding out how much worse things are with COVID. It's like, well, it was also worse before. Like, yeah. so, and then it's like, ah, oh, surprise, we've learned that it's actually even worse during COVID. And you're like, oh, no way. Uh, an international pandemic causing us to have to spend most of our time in our homes, uh, you know, and then things have gotten worse, you know. So it's like we already know there are barriers there around children accessing support. And it's kind of totally reasonable that then you'd expect there to be even more barriers. 
Um, yeah, and I, mm. I don't know, Chris, you know, if that's what you've seen in terms of your experience working, you actually working in hospitals in A&Es. So it's, um, it's really difficult um, for people on the front line because, you know, obviously children and young people, you know, don't want to come to A&E um, yeah. with their mental health crisis. It's probably yeah. one of the last places they would like to be. Um, we recognise that there was a problem with access before COVID, as Robin was saying, which is why we've done some of the work within We Can Talk to help those acute nurses um, and, and kind of professional colleagues work with children and young people in, in crisis and support them. Mm. Actually, with COVID, what we found is that, that even the normal coping strategies that, that these children and young people would ordinarily use suddenly mm. aren't there anymore. And not only that, that, that the services, kind of the mainstream services that, that were available are suddenly overwhelmed. And actually the last place that is left to them is, is A&E. So the attendances that we're seeing are increasing, but the complexities of the children and young people coming in in crisis is so much more, mm. you know, they, they've kind of, it's almost the very last straw. So, that, so it's kind of got to the point where there isn't anything else they can do. It's now so bad they've come to A&E. Mm. Um, and, and that's really evident in the young people that we're seeing. So where are the where are the issues in the system then? Is it um, lack of beds, lack of staff, or just lack of? Well, I mean, if I pick that up, because I think like you know, actually, I think one thing that we've really seen during this crisis is, I, I think we knew that we knew this already, and we've mm. been saying this already, but I think it has really come to the front, which is that that there is so much more to the mental health system that supports children and young people's mental health than the specialist services that are commissioned to support young people's mental health. Like, mm -hmm. and actually what we are seeing is, you know, what happens when, you know, well, what happens after 10 years of disinvestment in youth services and in education. But what we're also seeing, especially in this last year, is when young people are unable to access in the main those, um, those places where they actually are receiving mental health support already whether it's from their you know in their school whether it's in a you know a club after school or through um some of our amazing you know kind of voluntary sector sort of charities um and youth information advice and counseling organizations like you know there is a whole system that supports young people you know through sport through everything and that that has gone um, actually, the easiest thing that's been able to sort of translate, I think, during this time is the specialist services themselves, because, you know, being able to switch to a, a kind of online therapy model, plenty of existing models around that, you know, a telephone mm. support model, plenty of existing models, like actually that's there. And, you know, but that's really thinking about, you know, kind of trying to treat illness rather than to prevent it. And mm. actually, we can't treat our way out of a mental health crisis. So for me, it's not an issue about beds. You know, we don't have this debate in physical health. This is an issue that mm. there's many issues that really annoy me, Nikki. This is one that really, <laughs> really annoys me, okay? Because in physical health, can you imagine, you know, in physical health, if Chris suddenly started having, you know, locally loads and loads of patients pitching up with broken legs, you know, mm. like just like, like, oh my goodness, we had a dozen patients come in with broken legs. You know, there would not yeah. be, the, there would not be the debate in her hospital or at a, a national level, if this was a national issue with people breaking their legs, we wouldn't say, you know what we need? We need more places to put these people with broken legs. Like they are clogging up hospitals. What we need is yeah. specialist units to treat these leg breakers. No, we would say like, we need to fix the pavements. Like we need to invest in fixing the pavements. But so mm. I, for me, it's like when we know all the reasons why 
uh, and all the factors around why you know people might struggle with their mental health and what leads mm. you know potentially to mental health illness and we're like oh well we're not going to invest in the prevention no let's just build some more places to put the ill mm. it, it, and it's, i think i think that's kind of evident now in the pandemic because actually it, it's mm. you know for for some of the children and young people that are already in the system they have that support network so they kind of know who they can ring and they may be a delay in that being picked up but they're kind of already in that system mm. but this whole group of children and young people who you know may have been kind of just managing and kind of getting through a day and going to school and having all of those kind of um support mechanisms that was keeping them at a level suddenly mm. that's all gone and now actually they don't know how to access help. Their parents don't know how to access help. Mm. They're kind of, you know, they're in a situation where they don't know where to go for that help. So they come into A&E because that's really mm. the only place that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I, and I would say, I mean, I think one of the things that has not, has kind of gone unsung during this time is, I, I mean, young people themselves and i don't want this to come across as patronizing but like yes we are seeing like more you know more numbers coming into to, to a and e after like you know kind of dipping and then and then you know more young people presenting in crisis but i i am amazed that we have not seen more like actually there is something about the fact that young people and i and i see that like you know like it's they're not they're not getting their support you know or it doesn't exist from from many of the services out there it's had to stop or they're not having that support through other mediums and they are finding a way to manage through what is for everybody like my mm. you know and I, and I include myself in that like one of the worst you know mm. year year and a half you know will, will be yeah. another challenging six months year here to manage your own mental health as an adult that's you know also is very fortunate to like have a job let alone to be a young person that's kind of not only having to deal with the social factors of this pandemic but also just the like job opportunity factors you know you know making plans about education like you know because for us when we talk about young people we're talking you know sort of up to 25 you know we have mm. 18 to 25 year olds that do you know do not have jobs anymore that like mm. their prospects are going to be you know horrendously challenging for yeah. several years like we've got you know an economy that's going to need to be rebuilt like and the fact that actually you know that so many young people are doing so much not only for themselves because i don't think it's mm. about self-care but for others and i think mm. i've seen that online i've seen that through the growth in so many yeah. amazing like peer-led organizations that are like okay support does not exist we will create support for each other. Like if we can't get, you know, if, you know, if we're concerned about our friends, we'll create a structure around them. Like we will provide that and we will do that in a way that works mm. for us, whether that's through WhatsApp, through, you know, TikTok, through, you know, whatever mm. the route is, young people mm. are creating that for themselves. And I think that is really exciting. And mm. I really, really hope that when we, at some point are able to like look and think about what has been effective and not effective during this period. But the role of peer led, you know, mm. intervention and, mm. you know, and people and it being owned by people with lived experience, run by people with lived experience, driven through by that is recognized because that is, we have leaned on that this year. Mm. And I think we have leaned on that heavily and we mm. have to recognize that going forward that actually there is a whole new group to this system that I do not think has ever gotten the sort of acknowledgement 
and perhaps has perhaps never been on the scale that it has been on this last year. But that is, we, we should really, I really hope that comes out of this, is an acknowledgement that has been tremendously valuable to, to thousands, tens of thousands of young people um, and young adults. Mm. Oh, sorry, I'll stop. I'll get off the sofa <laughs> for a second. I just feel like that's not said enough, at least it's not. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. But I wonder as well if there's something, you know, we were talking about silos before. If there's something that maybe people feel a little bit distanced, maybe, from if they're not actually physically working with children and young people, they feel that maybe they can't comment or maybe you need to be like a specialist in some way to, to be able to work with, with kids. I think some people are a bit scared of them, frankly, after a while, driven away from them for a bit. So um, I'm going to answer that, Robin. Um, <laughs> Just to let you know, Robin. Um, <laughs> So um, I think actually that's one of the fundamentals of We Can Talk um, mm. is, is the project that, that we're running within Healthy Teen Minds is that actually it's the recognition that you don't need to be an expert, um, mm. that that you are capable of supporting you know, children and young people in crisis wherever you are. But it is that, you know, so as a professional, when you, you, you think you have to fix things, so especially in A&E, you come in as, you know, Robin's analogy of a broken leg, actually you x-ray it, you put a plaster on, you send them home with crutches, job done, yeah. everyone's happy. But when someone comes in in crisis, actually that's much more difficult to manage because we can't fix it. Um, and, and there is an expectation, I think, amongst the professionals that we need to fix it. And if we can't fix it, then we're not doing a very good job. Mm. Um, and I think... You know that that's the bit that we we need to start breaking down because because young people don't want that. You know they're telling us that that the difference in their experience is the fact that someone's made them a cup of tea, the fact that someone sat down mm. and talked with them for for ten minutes. You know that they've made them feel safe, that they've told them it's the right place um, mm. to come because you know they don't want to come to A and E. They don't want to be on mm. a, a, a pediatric ward. You know they 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 certainly you know don't want to feel the way that they do. So if we can start breaking down some of those barriers, then everyone gets a better experience, including the member of staff. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a really difficult thing, isn't it? I remember being first conscious of the fact when I started training in my 20s, I thought I was quite a young person, but you get known, you get let known quite quickly that you're out of the loop. I think sometimes by, by young people, quite brutal. Like, you're old enough to be my mum. I'm 23. Like, that kind of stuff. It's, a, it's something I think that causes that little bit of pullback, maybe. And people don't, don't think, you know, I've been kids, I'm, you know, ch children and young people are people. And a lot of the issues are similar. You know the the things that we've we've seen in in my area, sort of North London, we've seen a big rise in domestic violence, and I am terrified to think what the impact of that is going to be on kids that are in a house with that going on, who are not being picked up by schools because they're not in school, or they're not able to get out or tell anybody. That that stuff really, I find that that's the stuff that scares me about lockdown. I think. And I think for me, the sad thing is, is that that when they these individuals actually pluck up the courage to come into an A&E department, <laughs> if they receive a reception that, you know, well, you're not here for the right reasons, you shouldn't be here, you should be somewhere else. You know, those kind of um, stigmas that, that children and young people in crisis come across quite a lot. Actually, mm. we we don't just damage that individual for that episode, but actually we put them off getting help. Yeah. probably for a very long time mm. um and and first first impressions make a big difference mm. yeah i think it's I think it's a scary thing is that, that a professional who feels insecure about themselves could actually then stop a kid from coming forward throughout the rest of their life 
because they feel a bit anxious about what language to use or what words to use or how to talk or ask or do I need to have a representative with me all that kind of stuff so have you got advice on that so I think it's I think they feel like that because they don't know what to say they don't want Mm. to make things worse by saying the wrong thing Mm. um and actually that you know they would I think what we found within this training is that that staff are absolutely mortified when they realise what effect their language and the words that they use and the way that they come across with with young people actually does to that individual. And I think having the young person with lived experience delivering that message is very powerful. Mm. Um, No one goes to work to do a bad job. Mm. Um, and, And these individuals will feel that they are doing a good a job as they can um, but I think it's just recognizing that actually you know humanity is is everywhere whether it's something to do with a physical health issue or a mental health issue mm-hmm. you know that compassion and humanity that that makes professionals and individuals who they are is translatable across the whole pathways. Mm. Is there anything specific that um, children and young people are coming in with what are the biggest issues that they're facing do you think? Um, gosh, it's so varied to be honest. There's an anxiety mm. um, and self harm um, mm. from a perspective of that's they don't really know kind of how to um, express themselves almost, and that's that's mm. one way that they can get help. Um, but I think it's it's so varied and so individualized that it's mm. not usually one thing. There's usually a combination of things. Robin probably wants to jump in at that point. No, I just want to jump in because I think it's a really interesting way that you, you, you kind of brought it in, Chris. You know, that, that you've kind of mentioned self-harm, like, and as a sort of way to way to get help, a way to let people know that you're in distress. I think, you know, we that is kind of, you know, we talked kind of, you kind of mentioned earlier and asked like what some of the sort of systemic problems are within children and people's mental health. And for me, that is a, a big part of it is that actually the because of the, fact that we you know we don't have properly funded services the fact that we know that you know at best you know one in three young people that have got a diagnosable mental health condition at any one time will have access to a service that's not like one in three young people that's like one in three young people we know would benefit from a mental mm. health intervention well, one in three of them will actually be able to access a service and that mm. is as well if all the money is flowing down to those services and the ccg isn't using it to kind of fill in some holes in its budget other places which mm. you know uh, again i i jury's out on, on on if that money is genuinely getting down to them but if it mm. does the best case for somebody is a one in three opportunity to get seen and what services have to do and look i've worked in them for more than 10 years like mm. I, I care passionately about those services and those colleagues working in them who work tirelessly um mm. who are encouraged like every other part of the nhs to work tirelessly to work mm. beyond your hours to see more families than you you know than you really can see you know they and if the state of the services as they are is how they are currently that is not due to the the efforts of staff it's probably you know just you know it's probably not actually an accurate representation of how things are funded because staff mm-hmm. are probably just doing far more however you know like within that i think there's something of, that happens that services have to prioritize those young people that are the most at risk that are in the most distress that are mm-hmm. you know i guess in the most dangerous situations unfortunately because mm-hmm. actually the way, and I think this exists, and maybe Chris can comment across physical health, and I think we've seen this now across physical and mental health services, and really across the NHS, and I would say across a lot of other public services, is that 
at the end of the day, when it comes to like what services are prioritized, it comes down to risk, unfortunately, and the most at risk, you know, and so actually what that does is that young people are, you know, they're, they're not stupid. Like, you know, like, I mean, I mean, well, there are some stupid young people. There are some stupid adults. There are some stupid <laughs> stuff that I've worked with. Totally. No names, okay. Robin. No, no names. names. <laughs> I, won't, I won't name names, right? So, um, however, I think there's something around, like, recognizing that, like, look, we all know, you know, there's a lot of situations where we know we need to, like, raise our, you know, escalate our behavior. We get listened to, like, you know, trying to talk to, you know, my unnamed mobile phone provider on the phone to explain, like, I'm not moving and it's cutting out all the time. This is you, not me. Um, you know, I, I know I have to, you know, threaten to leave. I know I have to ask for six managers above the person I'm speaking to. Like, I know I need to escalate that. Like, actually, if you know that, and, and unless you're in that top third mm. of the most most distressed the number of conversations i've sadly had with young people in hospitals because that was my job for so long was you pitched up to a &E before you went and you know in a mental health crisis before you went sorry you have to see me <laughs> unlucky like, <laughs> like i mean you know we should do a study just on all, all, all those you know Some poor individuals mm. oh but you know um mm. but actually you know there was something about like so many of those conversations was like look actually yeah, for, for, for many of them, they would be like, well, look, I, I tried to get help. I tried mm. to tell someone things, but they wouldn't listen. They, you know, mm. they, they said I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hurting myself enough. I wasn't, you know, unwell enough. You mm. know, I wasn't risky enough. And it's like, mm. they're like, I I'm here because I, you know, I did this to harm myself, but this is because yeah. I'm worried that if I don't get this help now, that things mm. are going to be much worse. Mm. So like, you know, I, I just think that is also part of the narrative that we have mm. given to young people over this time and that that yeah i can kind of understand that that situation like and that's the mm. reality and i think we have to acknowledge it and try and desperately think about what we can do as a system to give young people mm. like opportunities where we can listen to young people Mm. It's really oh, yeah. weird, isn't it? We spend such a long time telling like young, young people, you're individual, you know, there are things about you that are unique and special. And then we say, you have to fit into this system. Yeah. The worst thing I ever saw, and, and I have to say, it really, to this day, I, I can't understand how anyone came to write it who, who had a brain, was someone told they were too heavy for eating disorders services. And I was just like, what are you, are you why don't you, what are you trying to kill them? Is that what you're trying to do? That is the most horrifyingly stupid thing I've ever heard. Having said that, I don't want to suddenly segue to Dave when I'm using the words horrifying, stupid. But <clears throat> we have, luckily, we have a health visitor in the house. At last, we have cause to call on him <laughs> for his expertise in children and young people. Dave, there's been some well, questions. Yes. And, and obviously, you know, it feels like you set me up to share my expertise. I've been so busy <laughs> reading all the questions and the comments that have been coming in that I feel quite... Why don't we do uh, the questions first and yeah, then go, let's, let's and go to them? First. Uh, right, so Helen Keogh has said, I think it's a massive factor, Nikki. Uh, not sure what now, because obviously we've moved on since she said that. Many <laughs> colleagues from other fields were terrified at the prospect of supporting young people. Oh, so okay, I think yeah, that I remember that. I remember that bit. Chris was talking. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was hours ago, wasn't it? Well, that was hours ago, wasn't it? Well, that's the thing. That it, it press on, Dave, press on. They'll just type away. Uh, right, and then Natalie Carter how well would the speakers say the system is prepared to adapt to respond to children who are essentially traumatised by what uh, has happened to them during COVID? 
Are we going to have a generation of kids labelled as having an emergent personality disorder, or are we going to address their presentations as understandable responses to extraordinary circumstances? You're back on, guys. <laughs> so, um, so it, it comes down to what what is considered abnormal behaviour and what is considered mental health. Because actually this, this situation is so extreme that that I, I think, you know, no one is behaving sometimes in the way that they would do. And that's completely normal. Um, and I, I mean, that's really hard to answer, I think. Um, what it, If you're asking what the effects of this pandemic is going to be on children and young people's mental health, I think that remains to be seen and we'll see that over the next few years progressing. Um, but will it be, you know, could, could we pin something down to say this generation is going to behave like this because of the pandemic? I think that's quite general. Mm. I think, yeah, I think one of the things... Go on. No, sorry, Robin, no, go on. No, please, Dave, please. Everyone wants to hear your wise words more than mine. Okay. I, I was just going to say that one of the things that I found fascinating today was uh, the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute did a webinar about uh, minding the, uh, no, closing the gap, a report that they've launched. Uh, and one of the things that was kind of quoted during that, through that, was the Institute for Fiscal Studies research uh, that's kind of looked at the impact of children being away from schools for such a long period of time mm. and how that's going to affect them going forward. Uh, and they were kind of quoting figures, I, I can't remember whether it was 400,000 or 40,000 uh, pounds that they'll lose out in terms of their own ability to uh, make money, you know, later in life because of not having access to, you know, what's going to be at least six months of schooling. And actually how, you know, as a, as a society, that's going to be pretty huge. And, and that's just one facet. That's about, you know, earnings. And actually, you know, what are all the other kind of knock-on effects that, that the pandemic is going to have? Uh, and actually, you know, it, it, it is fascinating. It's, it's a, fa a fascinating day, really, isn't it, with uh, the, the news of a, a new mental health uh, ambassador uh, for children having been uh, announced earlier today and kind of, you know, the government's focus on, uh, you know, what how they're going to help people, how they're going to help children, how they're going to help children's mental health. And actually, are they just missing the really, really important bits? And I think this goes back to quite a few things that Robin was saying earlier. Uh, you know, that bit about how poverty has such a huge impact on us and our mental health. Yeah. And actually, you know, rather than, you know, getting an ambassador, which, you know, I'm sure this guy's going to do an amazing job and he's, he's lovely, uh, you know, actually the government should be stepping up and supporting families in a much more uh, kind of, you know, dramatic way. Just, just another. But another feeding example. a child is not dramatic. We'll just put that out there. We're not, we're not suggesting that it's a special occasion. <laughs> like, you know, they have to eat every day. I don't know if everyone else was aware of that. And, 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 and right. what kind of message does that give to a young person when you are worried about whether you're going to be hungry or not? I mean, I find it just appalling, as I think most people did. But you're right. Suddenly, dancing in with an ambassador is an interesting, an interesting response to that. It's almost as if they were trying to distract, maybe. Well, and, 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 and I've got to say, I've got to say, Nikki, that maybe mm -hmm. I'm being a bit two-faced here because mm -hmm. next week's guest on MHTV is Natasha Devon, and oh, she's that's obviously. All right. I thought you were going to say it's this guy after I just <laughs> horrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's it's the it's the person that was doing the job that Dr. Alex has been given yeah. uh, before yeah. he was doing it, and yeah. and I think it'll be great to ask for her views next week yeah. and kind of you know how she feels that that mm. this this new doctor will be able to kind of perform this role. I just mm. wanted to give a, another example uh, of a of a, a. I was speaking to a GP earlier this week, uh, and they were saying that they've uh, tried to refer a family. Uh, the mum has uh, really problematic uh, mental health. Uh, she kind of isn't able to get out of bed most days. And obviously now her uh, children aren't in school. So they're kind of at home uh, with the mum not able to kind of function on, on, a, on a daily basis and asking for social services to become involved uh, and them saying it doesn't meet their criteria. And again, mm. that kind of bit about how bad does it have to get before we can see that families desperately need support and they kind of released from these, you know, really uh, concerning situations. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, and, that, and that was a problem pre-COVID. It's, it's not just COVID that, that's caused this, but obviously with the, the lack of schools being there to, you know, step into the, into mm. the space, you know, that's, that's a real problem. Anyway, back to the questions. Uh, we've also had one from Adrian, uh, and he said, children's mental health is often difficult to support. I've heard things like they're seeking your attention or every kid smokes cannabis. How can we educate all healthcare professionals to see young people as a person with health needs? I mean, I quite like to just pick up, I, I, I kind of take that question, Dave, but I'll also kind of pick up on your previous points. I think I, I think it's a, a really excellent point that you made, which is, and one of my big worries with COVID happening at the time that it's happening, and and I, you know, I, and I think the government's going to do a lot to to attempt to sort of uh, distract us around this, as Nikki suggested, which is that actually, you know, the the issues facing children, especially the issues facing children mm -hmm. around their mental health, were awful before COVID. You know, like it was a mm -hmm. terrible, terrible situation. You know, and you know we have been dealing with the impact of 10 years of austerity on children's mental health. You know, we are, we are mm. dealing with, you know, a government that has managed to increase child poverty, you know, like, mm. like we, we are dealing, you know, we, we are dealing with poorer health mm. outcomes for some of our most vulnerable groups. You know, we are, it, it's, we are dealing with the financial strain that people were under and that impacted on children and impacted on our physical health um, far before this, you know, happened. And I think there's something, I think when there's that question of, is this going to be the generation that is let down by, by COVID and this pandemic? No, this is the generation that was, this was the generation that was already let down. Like this is a generation that has been let down, you mm. know, uh, in an absolutely shocking way that leaves the rest of Europe asking us if we care about our children. Like that, yeah. that is how they view the, the UK and England specifically, when they look mm. and look at our spending on children and look at our spending on children's health services, you know, mm. it is, you know, this is the generation we have let down. And I really hope that that we don't look at just the impact, which obviously there is going to be a large impact just from these events, you know, of the last year and the, and the knock-on effect as they continue. But we need to also look at that in context of, the fact that that wasn't when we started letting down young people. This mm. is like, you know, a, and we cannot let ourselves as people that were part of that system during that time, uh, politicians that we elected to make those choices on our behalf during mm. that time, like we cannot let ourselves and our 
you know, uh, the government of now and, and past governments off the hook for the role they've played in that because there happened to be this pandemic that mm. came along and neatly allowed an exit strategy for the mm. incredibly poor situation, you know, because I, I guarantee you, if it's a normal year, like the government is not appointing uh, a children, young people's mental health ambassador this week. You know, mm. like it's just it's just not happening. I mean, mm. or, you know, or or it's happening with an even deeper sense of irony based on you know the mm. uh, destruction of mental health services for children, and not even just mental health services, but of the whole system around children. Because as mm. I said earlier, this is beyond just the specialist services. We don't mm. need more places that focus on fixing young people that are already ill. We mm. need stuff that's focusing on preventing that from happening. You know, that's allowing us that question from Dave said, allowing, you know, young people to be able to seek attention in a positive and constructive way, you mm. know, like because they need support and not be, you know, labeled as attention seeking for doing so, being like, no, if I need help, like you know, I've got places that I can go to. I've got friends, I've got mm. family, you know, mm. like actually young people need ways to seek attention to that are outside of their family groups. They're even outside of their friend groups. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I feel like especially the health service, but also many other services, the voluntary sector especially, have a huge role in, in allowing mm. that to happen. Mm. So we've got a message from Ben Hannigan. Hello, Ben. Um, talking about this being a really important MHTV discussion, which is fantastic, and saying that Nicola Evans, also a lovely, lovely person, um, is looking um, on uh, collating an understanding, better understanding of um, alternatives to hospital for young people. So, and we've we've tweeted out the link to that, and we will we will do it again. So, if there's anything that's coming up that you're interested in, have a look on Twitter under the MHT MHTV hashtag, and it will be there. Hopefully, we'll be putting all the services on there, and also uh, Robin and Chris's projects as well will be on there as well. So, if you want to follow up with those, absolutely. But I guess one of the things I would ask is, it's clear what's not right. If in in an ideal situation, if we were gearing up societies to support young people's well-being, what would that look like? It seems quite far away from where we are right now, maybe. So I think, you know, the one thing that, that I probably would say is that never has children and young people's mental health been so on the agenda. Um, you know, staff within acute hospitals are desperate to try and understand how they can support these individuals. Mm. And I think if we can, um, you know, that that's obviously kind of towards an end point of seeking help but mm. it's really important because like I said before the experience of that young person attending an A&E department will have an effect on whether they pick up any further support going forward including the referral to the community services when they've left A&E mm. so so the We Can Talk project certainly helps that and and the ability to to get acute professionals to understand that they have the ability to support children and young people in crisis mm. is, is really, really important. And I know that's kind of towards the end, um, but obviously that's kind of where I am is from a, an ED perspective. Mm. Um, but, you know, what looks good for me is that a child or young person in crisis can enter any acute hospital and get the care that they need and the compassion and support that they need from the staff that are working in there. Mm. That's what good would look like. Mm. About you, Robin, what would you say? I think, I mean, I, I, th I think Chris really nailed it. I think there is something about us recognizing that absolutely any one of us can have a really incredibly valuable role in supporting a young person that might be experiencing a crisis. And I, mm. I say that to 
not only like other professionals that might be watching this, you know, whatever your role is, you don't have to have the word mental in your job title. In fact, I think probably helps that you don't a lot of the time. Yeah. That can be a huge barrier. Uh, certainly mm. in my experience as someone that has had that in my job title for my whole career. Um, mm. But I think that it's recognizing that I think that there is an opportunity for us to not not start again, but to generally move on from the poor position that we find ourselves in. And I think the way that we do that is, you know, not by uh, bringing in experts that know what children and young people want, or, you know, experts that will represent children and mm -hmm. young people, or, you know, uh, or any other word, champions or whoever we want to bring in mm -hmm. for children and young people. And it's like, no, I think what we really have to think about, and this is, you know, this is why, you know, I'm, I'm I've kind of, I've moved on from my clinical roles because I'm just really interested in thinking actually what's needed in my opinion is us looking at ways that we can share and hand over power to young people so that they begin to shape this conversation in a more meaningful way than we have ever done. Because mm. we are not going to be, and I say we as like professionals, we as just those that are not experiencing this from the perspective of a young person or from someone with lived experience that's going through the issues. I can be aware of the problems in the children and people's mental health system, but like I am, I am not the expert in that because I am not experiencing that system. Mm. You know, that it does not impact on my life in the same way. And I think we have to empower that expertise that children and young people have themselves because mm they will help us figure out I, I have every confidence because, you know, all the young people that I work with are, have got far better ideas than I do, to be honest, Nikki. Okay. You know, I know it's probably not coming in any surprise to you, this conversation, you know, but like, they've got far <laughs> better ideas than, than, than me around this, you know, and I think actually that I've seen that. I, I, I've seen that, especially over this last year, like mm. we, we have to get comfortable with the idea that, you know, you know, all of us that, see ourselves as parents or carers or professionals in some way that as part of the ecosystem that supports children and young people's mental health, we have a role. Absolutely. Everybody has that role. Mm. Let's let that be led by young people. Let that be directed by the ideas and the vision for mm. what young people want from those services, not by, you know, uh, not by you know, people meeting in a room that mm. haven't been a young person in a very long time and that you know, are, are, are an expert by the letters after their name. That's that's mm. not the way we're going to get out of this. I think mm. one of the um, things that we were really able to do within the pandemic is to build an online tool called the Fundamentals of Compassionate Care. Mm. Um, and that's actually delivered by young people with lived experience. So it's them telling us what makes a good experience what they can do to support them mm. when they're having a crisis and it's been picked up not just by professionals in hospitals but you know teachers you mm. know all sorts of people and it, you know it, it was designed for acute staff working in, a, in an acute hospital but actually there's a lot of messages that can be taken out of that mm. that that makes people start thinking about actually what these young people are asking for um, and, it, and it's not unreasonable. None of it is unreasonable. Mm. Um, and I think going back to, you know, David's question about whether it's um, their attention seeking, you know, actually these young people are said that's, that's not what they want. What they want is someone 
to make them feel safe, to to be compassionate, and actually to to have a level of understanding that that they need to be there because there isn't anywhere else for them to be. Mm. That sounds fantastic, and I think as well, Robin, you were saying you've got like a new project in the offing as well. Yeah, I was going to say, although, although I feel like I've probably voiced a lot of frustration and passion about this issue, I have also like genuinely of the of the view yeah. that that we can create change and create good. And so, yeah, so um, one of the projects that we're really excited about um, is that uh, we're working with Health Education England to um, develop some resources and I guess some sort of, I guess, a, an online space where if you are a professional or a parent or carer and you're looking for some, I guess, resources you know sort of some some training some sort of like i guess uh, accessible learning around how to support young people in crisis um mm-hmm. we are going to be developing that over the next few months and we're looking for people to help us so we're we're looking to recruit we've got uh we're looking for young people uh, that are 16 to 25 um for this group uh we'll be running a series of different national workshops um we want you to let us know especially if your own person's had experience of being in a in a mental health crisis like we want to know what's helpful in those moments what can we help communicate to professionals um and the same you know we're looking for professionals that work in crisis teams or that work supporting young people in crisis so we want to understand better we've got there's quite a lot of research out there about what the needs mm-hmm. are of that bit of the workforce but we're also keen to talk to you directly to say look you know we've got this opportunity to kind of co-design with young people some resources around this area what would be helpful in those moments that you're on the end of the phone and you're trying to be helpful but you don't know what to say like what's the things you need at your you know at your fingertips Mm. um and we're hoping to i don't know what they're going to look like because that's the joy of what we do and genuinely trying to design and deliver things together so it's going to be some stuff it's going to come out i think at the end of april so we've got a good few months to sort of work together to figure out what that looks like but it's a similar process that we've done some of our other projects and whatever it looks like it's going to be I, I think I hopefully it'll be helpful um and you know it, it'll be led by young people the whole way so mm-hmm. we're pretty excited about that so if you want to get involved with that um we've just launched a very basic website for that which just has details um if you want to get involved as an individual um as a you know as an organization um and that's crisistools.org.uk catching We'll we'll retweet it. (laughs) Don't Don't ask me to spell it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just jumped in there. (laughs) I can't believe we're actually 40 minutes in already, so we're pretty much coming to the end. Um, There was a couple of other questions. Um, uh, Adrian was talking about um, his uh, plans for upskilling general child nurses to screen and support um, people waiting for, well, children waiting for tier four beds. And I don't get a sense from either of your eyes that that's a thing. God, I hope not. I mean, geez, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, what? We need to have more people to screen, more people to wait for more beds. I mean, like, ah, oh, like, no, I get, I, I understand where the, you know, the the bed issues come up because they get talked about so much. Like, oh, wait for a bed, wait for a bed. Actually, you know, like, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's changed. I imagine it hasn't because this has been an argument that's gone on for years. And generally, the issue is not that we need more beds because the general bed occupancy rate in CAMS is a, it used to be like in the eighties. I don't think it's gone up, you know, you know, from when I last looked at the data around this, like actually the issue is like partly where the beds are, if you want to think of it that way. And that like there are beds a long way away, but also like the reason that we're using beds, like the reason that we, we have a bed crisis is because we don't have 
robust enough community services because you know there are not it is not that we have so many young people that definitely need a tier four admission and i think there is this and and i think i i used to work in inpatient cams like channel mental health services so like the tier four you know I've, I've worked in a number of different units all the data shows that a bit like if you come into a hospital and chris can back me up on this in the general hospital if you come into a hospital in general whether it's an yeah. adolescent inpatient ward mm. or a physical health hospital the longer you stay there the worse your outcomes get okay like you do not want to be yeah. in a hospital like you know like I, you know chris is like oh everybody want to come into hospital I'm like i don't want to come into a hospital like nobody wants to come into a hospital like I, you know i barely want to go into them and i'm like working in them like you know so like no nobody wants that and the outcomes are not good so i mm. think people have this idea that actually young people go into hospital and get fixed or they get better young people don't get better in hospitals most young people get worse and they get worse especially the longer they're in hospital hospital can be helpful or at least a place that is uh perhaps outside of your home environment or in a more containing space like can have mm. a, a very valuable therapeutic role now I don't think that needs to be a tier four hospital that's probably going to be because there's so much strain on beds require that you also have to be sectioned under the mental health act which is going to follow you for the rest of your life regardless of how much we say it won't it will like i we i think it's just yeah it's the wrong it's the wrong debate to be having i think for me um and it, with the greatest respect to the questioner i totally understand why people <laughs> ask that question but yeah. i think there is a lot of and I, and I don't think you know those that are you know, making decisions about policy and strategy around this area are always the best at being able to explain that because they go, oh yeah, no, we do need more beds. And it's like, oh, well, but it's it's not what we really need. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you, so your response to Adrian was no. <laughs> but, I, but I imagine if we talked it through together, we would be on the same page. Okay, so like, I don't, don't want to. You know. <laughs> He's never going to call again. Thanks. <laughs> sorry to our one watcher. Um, really sorry. I've alienated the, the audience. Well, um, I hope you're satisfied, Robin. Let me just be really clear as well. Like, other opinions are available. Okay. Uh, I, 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 let me be really clear. Like, there are definitely some more moderate opinions. I am aware. Well, we are not interested in them, Robin. We just we just want a clear, defined position. And I think we have that now. Thank you. <laughs> well, I just wish you wouldn't hold back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think I promised you I would. This is me being nice, Nikki. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. <laughs> I think we've covered some real ground, actually. I've really enjoyed tonight. Um, I guess what we ought to do is kind of, and you can't really wrap up a wide ranging discussion, but I think we've been so lucky to have, you know, proper, proper talk and have a real genuine concern and emotions and just the stuff that mental health is made of. That's absolutely what we were looking for. So I guess what we'll do is just come around. I, I, I never get it right. I always call it final thoughts, which sounds so frightening and terrifying. Like something dreadful is about to happen, but just some like last, um, last words. So maybe Dave, if you want to go first, is there anything that, that, because you've been quite quiet. I, I don't know you if think? it was because people were so mean to you. But maybe that's what it was. But maybe. I, 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 I was a bit anxious because uh, partway through there, quite a lot of background noise here because uh, my middle child was kind of uh, coming down and wanting to have a little bit of a chat because uh, normally when I'm doing this job, everything's muted and we can have a little conversation and 
you know, give him a hug and everything. But tonight it was like, go, go. So, uh, <laughs> Great you know, that, for his that, mental that, health there. I know, yeah. Get out. <laughs> Judging <child>. you. I've been dragged out by his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, some thoughts. Probably would I, never I, have I, done before, that. <laughs> before thoughts, uh, I wanted to say hello to Clenzo and to Steve, who both commented on the United yeah, Health Facebook you. page. Uh, and Steve's actually made one of the points that I wanted to make in the final points. I suppose one of the things that I would genuinely hope is that uh, we kind of learn stuff from COVID. And whilst we know it's going to have negative impacts on people, you would kind of hope that it reminds us of, of the value of things. Uh, you know, as a dad to three kids, it certainly re-emphasised the value to me about schools and teachers and the school staff. Because having kids, you know, at home during the school day reminds you of how difficult it is to look after kids and to try and educate them and, and kind of get them through life on top of the, the parenting job that, that I've got. So I, I think that's really important. And, and I think the other thing is the importance of how we support people. And hopefully in terms of, you know, the situation that we've had with furlough over the, you know, the last year, uh, and the kind of the threat that it's going to end soon. You know, that bit about hopefully for those people that always thought, you know, people on benefits were scroungers and they had an easy life. Actually, for those that have now had to call upon it uh, and realise how completely woeful our support system is for, you know, people most at need. Hopefully it's going to be something that they'll remember for a long period of time. And, you know, you kind of hope that, you know, our society can be rebuilt in a positive way. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we kind of went into the last general election with this sort of narrative of there's no money tree. But at the moment, you know, the money taps are on. And, you know, we're spending huge amounts of money on things that, you know, quite rightly, we should spend huge amounts of money on, for example, you know, the vaccines that we bought, you know, hundreds of millions of doses of. Uh, it's, it's absolutely right that we do that. But why do we not spend the same level on our children, on our children's mental health, on support to our children? Because at the end of the day, it's such a dodgy false economy that we don't do that. And I remember back to pre-pandemic when I used to wander along to the House of Commons and speak at, at debates on uh, this issue in, in all parts of parliamentary groups. And one of the things that I often said to MPs was the bit about, you know, we shouldn't have to be here talking about the economic case of you know, why we should invest in children. We should mm. be talking about the human case of why we should invest yeah. in our kids. Because yeah. if we don't do that, then we're just a failed society, really. And 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 it's sad to be in that place. I think the, the last comment I will make as well is I've said very little tonight about health visiting and school nursing, you know, two professions that I'm hugely passionate about yeah. and two professions that have been absolutely devastated over the last few years before COVID mm. and have yet had to step up and do hugely demanding jobs through this pandemic. Some trusts are still trying to cut the number of health visitors they've got, which is exceptionally depressing, uh, but sadly not surprising. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, even though not said much about it on tonight's uh, conversation, it is a, a, a subject that's constantly in my mind and in the work that I'm doing. So hopefully some positive there, some depressing stuff as well, but hey, you know, you pay your money, that's what you get. Dave, you're light and shade. We wouldn't want you any other way. <laughs> Can I come to Chris? Yeah, so I think um, kind of echoing some of what Dave's just said is that actually, you know, the positives of is actually we are being a bit kinder to each other. 
and we are being kinder to ourselves. And if all we do is recognise that we have the capacity for compassion and kindness yeah. to others, including, you know, children and young people who need us, you know, more than ever, mm. actually, then then that is a really positive thing that's come out of COVID, and it's so needed. Mm. Absolutely. I'm going to say it, Robin. Over to you. <laughs> well, thank you, Nikki. I noticed we only have seven minutes before we have to go off air, so I will make this brief. Hang in with me, people, with the last bit. Come on, don't leave me. Nikki, shall I, shall I just press the button now? <laughs> no, because I think it's going to go out on a, on a measured, calm note. So let's just hear it, see if I'm, see if I'm right. I am I am genuinely with, with, with all the frustration that yeah. I've expressed yeah. tonight. I am I am genuinely excited by again as I said the opportunity that we have with you know let's call them this generation of young people whatever other patronizing term we want to use like you know and in the most patronizing of awareness weeks you know we we can really like recognize that like th this is you know who I really believe are going to be the group that are going to step up and you know support across all those levels of the system in the changes that we need to do that are, are going to I hope force us as the you know the the ones that came before them and really screwed a lot of things up to to actually address them uh, and to improve upon them you know I, I hope that yeah, that we we take this learning, as Dave said, around like how government can work differently, about how people, as Chris has said, can work differently in terms of how they relate to each other, you know, and, and we can harness this. And that mm. we can hopefully, in the new world that we are in, where, you know, for as long, I'm sure all of us have mm. been within the NHS for long enough to have heard, oh, we, we can't do this because of data protection. We can't do this because of technology. We can't do this because the Wi-Fi would collapse. We can't do this. Mm. But then within a matter of like days, if not weeks last March, yeah. when the pandemic started, suddenly we were doing all those things. Yeah. Um, that were all those bright ideas that like so many clinicians had for years spent themselves banging their heads against a wall going, why can I not, you know, uh, yeah. text my clients? Why could I not do this appointment? over a video chat what you know and you're like oh no 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 it will break mm. the nhs if we do this and it's like um it hasn't you know so mm. we, you know we've done all this change let's keep pushing forward let's yes. use the fact that we can now do so much online to go you mm. know what it's a lot easier to get groups of young people together at short notice online so we can get rid of that oh it takes a long time to engage with young people yeah. like oh we can't do that oh we have to provide them and you know, where will we get the money for the pizza? Like, I mean, like all this yeah. other junk that we think that we have to, you know, do to get young people to be involved in services. Young people want to be involved. You know, young people want to be involved. Like now, I think personally, we should be compensating for their time and being involved. And that's what we do as an organization. But they want to be involved and they'd probably be involved for free if you gave them meaningful control over what their future looked like locally, geographically, yeah. nationally, wherever that is. So let's do more of that and mm. let's you know, sit back and take our orders from mm. them. Mm. I think that's that was such a such a, a really positive way to end there. So this idea of one about compassion and kindness, 
um, and, and leading with the skills we already have. And then from Robin there, also saying about the opportunities we've got to move forward in really creative ways. But co-production, you know, don't don't talk to people, not about them all the time. You know, I think that's really, really important. And so I guess it just remains for us to say goodnight. Thank you ever so much. We've had a fantastic night tonight. I've really enjoyed myself. I hope you have too. Uh, all that remains is to say goodbye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.